Hi, and welcome to the iPhone Life podcast. I'm Donna Cleveland, Editor-in-Chief at iPhone Life. And I'm David Averbach, CEO and publisher at iPhone Life. Each episode, we bring to you the best apps, top tips, and great gear in the iOS world. Today, we are going to talk about iPhone 12 rumors again, and that's because (laughs) Apple didn't end up announcing the iPhones in September like we'd hoped, even though a lot of rumors were already telling us we would get them in October and not September. So here we are, and we're going to talk about when we're expecting the iPhone 12s to be announced in October and recap if there are any new rumors about what what devices we'll be getting. And we also wanna go over with you this episode, our uh, personal favorite iOS 14 tips that are making a difference in our lives right now. So David has his ones, I have mine. We'll make sure to get to that too and lots of other fun stuff too. So make sure to stick around. And first, David, who's our sponsor today? Our sponsor today is Bridge, and it's a perfect timing to have them as a sponsor because they have keyboards for iPads, and they have now aligned for the new iPads that just came out. Um, They've been a longtime sponsor, and they, even before being a sponsor, has been one of our favorite companies because they just make really excellent keyboards for iPads. Um, And they do a few things really well. First of all, they have this beautiful aluminum shell that makes it really look, it it almost looks like your iPad is now a laptop, a MacBook. So it really matches the Apple aesthetic. It looks beautiful. It has a hinge system, which allows you to put your iPad at pretty much any angle in a way that Apple's new keyboards just do not allow. And the third thing is it's cheaper than Apple's new keyboards. Um, So we love them. And then they have two versions now. They have one with a trackpad for if you're someone who wants to use the new mouse functionality and one without. So go check it out at bridge.com. It's B-R-Y-D-G-E.com. Or you can go to iphonelife.com slash podcast and we'll link to it in the show notes. Next, I want to talk to you about our Daily Tips newsletter. We have a newsletter. Uh, if you go to iphonelife.com slash daily tips, that's completely free where we send you a one minute tip each day that teaches you something cool you can do with your iPhone. Right now is especially a great time to sign up for the newsletter because iOS 14 just came out and I'm sure a lot of you are wondering how to use the new features and this makes it really easy. It's low commitment, doesn't take much time at all and is a fun way to learn. So go to iphonelife.com slash daily tips. I have a tip I wanted to share today. Um, this, is the, this is the feature of iOS 14 that I think a lot of people are talking about right now, and that's widgets. I've been surprised to discover that a lot of people don't really understand what a widget is, which just shows, <laughs> I think, how seeped in mobile tech that we are, that it just kind of like, of course, it's a widget. Um, So first I want to explain what a widget is. Um, A widget is a preview of an app that gives you some of the information from the app and you can add it historically on your iPhone to the today view. And now with iOS 14, you can add it right to your home screen. That way you can see information without having to go anywhere, which is, I think, one of the nicest features of iOS 14. So I'm gonna share my screen for those of you watching the video podcast, but otherwise, no worries, I will be explaining how to do this. So from your home screen, you just tap and hold anywhere on the home screen. Um, you can do it, you could do it 
with an app, I a lot of times like to just tap outside of where an app is. Uh, then you'll see your apps go into jiggle mode where they're like moving slightly and you'll then have the option to delete apps if you want to from there. But now you have a new option in the upper left corner. It's a plus icon. So you'll tap on that. And from there, you'll see with different widget options that will pop up. Sorry, my screen share is a little bit blurry right now. Um, I'm just gonna stop sharing because you saw the most important part there anyways. So you see the widget options there. From there, you can tap on the ones that you want and you'll have the option to choose small, medium, or large for your widget and then tap to add it to your home screen from there. Um, there's more that we can get into, but I won't right now because <laughs> I don't want to take up too much time, but you can do things like create stacks of widgets on your home screen. You can adjust the size of them. You can choose what information from the app you chose to show up on the widget um, and lots of things like that. So just to give you an example, I have the weather widget and my calendar widget and reminders widget all on my home screen, but I didn't want to take up all of my space doing that. So I've stacked them on top of each other. Um, and I've chosen the medium size because that's my favorite sized widget. So I can see my forecast. I can see what's coming up in my schedule for the day. And with reminders, I've chosen just reminders for that day. So I can see what reminders I have for that day too. So that's an example of how you can customize it. You can choose which list in your reminders shows up on the widget. Yeah, we had a really fun conversation in the iPhone Life class, which we're doing now, uh, which we'll talk about in a second, talking about what widgets people are enjoying. Um, and I was just getting ready to ask you that, Donna, so that's perfect. So just recap one more time. What widgets are on your home screen right now? I have weather, reminders, calendar, and um, battery is the one I didn't mention. And that shows my the batteries status of my Apple Watch, AirPods, and iPhone. Okay, and you have them all in a stack, is that correct? Yes, I have them. Whoa. They're all medium-sized and on a stack, so they're just taking up like a little bar at the top of my home screen. And, and I, I also am really enjoying widgets. We're kind of getting blurring the lines between <laughs> our iOS 14 coverage and our tip of the day, but that's fine. Uh, what I have, I have three of them, and they're all the medium bar. Donna inspired me to do the medium bar. I had the small one, and... I changed it up. So what I have is I have the weather. Um, and what I like about the medium size for the weather is it gives me the hourly forecast in addition to just the highs and lows. Um, I have the battery like Donna has. I also have something that I don't know that a lot of people have been using, but I've been really enjoying, which is the Siri suggestions. And basically it pulls a list of my frequently used apps based on AI and kind of has them on my home screen. So it's a little bit of a mixed bag because it's kind of randomized and I never quite know where the apps are on my home screen at the moment. Um, but I do find it useful to just kind of always have my frequently used apps because they change over time and I'm not one who's always organizing my home screen and trying to move them around. So I've been enjoying that as well. Cool, yeah, so I hope you try this out at home and see what widgets are working for you. Can we, I'm gonna derail our question of the day. Can we make it the question of the day? <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. To okay. ask what, take it away. <laughs> okay, yeah, well, you, you were just about to say it. So uh, my question of the day is what widgets are you enjoying? Uh, so send us an email at podcast at iphonelife.com. In particular, I'd love to hear any of them, uh, but in particular, I'm curious to hear, I know there's a lot of cool new apps that are designed specifically 
two uh four widgets like you download the app and then it allows you to customize your home screen with a bunch of widgets um and uh what is it like widget smith is i think one of the most popular ones i'm curious if anybody's been using any of those types of apps and enjoying them as well so let yeah. us know what you're using and what you're liking send us an email at podcast at iphonelife.com the other thing i'm curious about is just um third-party apps that people are liking because you know all the ones we mentioned are apple's apps i think that every that people should definitely try those and those are the ones that i'm getting use out of but um i have tried curio is one that's a, a news app and um what was it wind down um let me check what it was unwind and it's a like breathing exercise app that has a widget and I basically downloaded and tried them just because I'd like read online that they have good widgets, but I haven't like Curio is paid and it's C-U-R-I-O. And uh, so I don't really end it. I don't want to pay for it. So I'm very curious to see what third party apps are out there that people like because maybe I'll want to try it too. I've been a little <laughs> bit disappointed at how slow third party apps have been to roll out widgets. I, I, no, I think it'll happen. not that much out there yet. Yeah, and we're only a couple weeks in because I, I don't imagine that they wanted to roll it out when they were when iOS 14 was in beta. So I think it'll happen. But in particular, I'm really looking forward to uh, Spotify because I would love to have a, like a quick widget for Spotify. And then also I use a third-party podcast app. We've talked about it in the past called Overcast. And I would love that because I look at the Apple Music widget, I look at the podcast widget, and those are ones that I would very likely put on my home screen if I could. Yeah, good point. Uh, next, I want to tell you about our Insider subscription, which feels like a good segue because we've given you uh, one of our samples of our daily tips. And as you can see, it's sort of the tip of the iceberg that you can be learning a lot more about how to customize your home screen with widgets and sort of all the complexities and uh, details and we can't include that in a daily in a one minute daily tip and so we have an educational subscription called iPhone Life Insider that's much more comprehensive and if you're excited about iOS 14 for instance and want to know all of the new features this subscription is what you want because we have a free class once you subscribe that you can join live sessions and ask instructors questions we have video guides that are comprehensive and include all of the features um, and we also have video versions of the daily tips, which makes it a lot easier to learn from. You also get a digital subscription to iPhone Life magazine, which we have quarterly issues of, and you get a full access to our archive of over 30 back issues. And we have this feature called Ask, which lets you, if you're having an, any specific issue, you can get in touch with us and our experts will help you find a solution. So. It's really the a really way to like step up your iPhone education and make sure you're getting the most out of these devices that we carry around with us every day. So right now in celebration of iOS 14, we are offering 50% off a subscription to iPhone Life Insider. This is the best deal that we ever offer. If you're um, a senior veteran or service personnel, you get an extra 10% off. So if you go to iphonelife.com slash podcast discount, you can claim those discounts now. It's for a limited time. We're winding up our iOS 14 promotion soon, so I recommend going and doing that now. It's iphonelife.com slash podcast discount. And we've been having so much fun. David and I are both, um, we're teaching the iOS 14 course. We had more than 600 people attend our first lesson last week, and people were asking such great questions. I felt like people um, 
we were really able to teach a lot more and cover a lot more than you are in any other format. So the courses are a really fun feature if you do subscribe. Yeah, we've had so much fun. And if you're a podcast listener, I feel like in particular, you would enjoy the classes because it's really if you're listening at home and you're like, have these thoughts that you want to share with us, tell us how we're wrong or ask us a question on what we just said. Podcast is not the right format for that. Um, And thank you for listening, by the way. But uh, the class is perfect for that. And we actually will have live callers and we'll ask questions and they can talk to us. So it's a really fun format. uh, And it's a great way to really go in depth on a topic. And we're really diving into every detail of iOS 14 in a way you just can't do in any other format. Yeah, it's very interactive, both with instructors and with other students, too, because when you get to ask your questions and use the chat, you end up answering and helping each other out a lot as well. So that's a great a great feature of Insider, too. So it's iPhoneLife.com slash podcast discount. We had a great Insider question this week, and I know that many of you listening are just fully in the Apple ecosystem, but some of you have Apple devices and also other devices. So this this is a good question to show um, if you're you might be using cross platform. So dear iPhone life, I use Windows 10 and have an iPhone using iOS 13.7. When I add a calendar appointment on my Windows PC, it does not sync to my iPhone and vice versa. If I add an appointment on my iPhone and then go to my PC, the appointment is not there. I use iCloud to back up everything, but seem to have a problem with syncing. Can you tell me what I need to do? I find myself adding appointments both places, which isn't very productive. Thanks. Howdy, if you are just using the built-in calendar on Windows 10, then you can easily synchronize it with your iCloud calendar. On your Windows PC, go to Settings, Accounts, Email and Accounts, and click on Add New Account. Select the kind of account you want to add, which is iCloud, and log in with your Apple ID. Then open the Microsoft Calendar application and it should automatically ask if you want to fetch your iCloud calendar data. It's never been easier to keep all your data up to date and connected. Cheers, iPhone life. And this, um, even though this is about cross-platform syncing between Apple devices and Windows, actually you still would need to do the same thing between a MacBook and an iPhone too. They're like even if you're doing iCloud backups on your iPhone, the main purpose of that is just to make sure you're not losing data on your iPhone. It's not meaning that you're going to be syncing with other devices necessarily, so you have to make sure you're logged in with your Apple ID for that service on every device and then they will start synchronizing. Yeah, and I was, um, first of all, it's nice to hear that you can do that on a a PC because I've been so steeped in the Apple ecosystem that I, it's been years since I've touched a PC. Uh, And so that's nice to hear that works. I will, one word of warning, I, as I said, I'm very steeped in the Apple ecosystem. I have a MacBook, I have an iPhone. They should just seamlessly talk to each other. Calendars in particular, for some reason, just do not like talking to each other. And I have the hardest time getting things to show up. Um, and I don't really know why that is. I've trouble. I've done a lot of troubleshooting on it. I'm my settings are in generally correct, but there's just there's so many different formats for the way somebody can send you a calendar invite, and it really depends on what email system they're using. Um, and they just often don't sync. I find if I add it, it will sync across. It's really when somebody else invites me to things. But I just want to, unfortunately, it's not always as easy as it sounds with calendars. <laughs> so I wanted to put that caveat. So if our listeners out there are having trouble with this, no, you're not alone. 
Yeah, it's true. And But when you do get it working right, it's so satisfying. Mm, I, I look forward to that day. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, shut up, Donna. Yeah. All right, we have some good comments from listeners that I wanted to read out. Okay. Um, okay. The first one is about the Apple Watch. In answer to your question, we agree with David. We have had the Apple Watch. Do you remember what the question was? <laughs> I just added this in because there are some other points, good points I, later on, but I don't remember what My the memory is it becomes clear in context. I think we were talking about which Apple Watch you should buy, uh, which is either the... Uh, which is either the iPhone 6 or the iPhone or the Apple Watch 6 or the Apple Watch SE. And oh. I was going back and forth on whether it was worth it for the blood oxygen levels. And I think they address my actual question in their answer. So if you read it, I think gotcha. it'll become clear. Okay, cool. Series one, we had the series one for quite a while. And now with this latest announcement, we'll be making the jump to the new iWatch. I've also just have to mention how cute it is. The um, people who wrote in, uh, wrote in as a unit. <laughs> This couple did, which I think is cute. We get that um, a lot, which is sweet. <laughs> yeah, we have both upgraded to the Apple Watch SE. Looking forward to getting them for the other features that we have been lacking from the releases of the Series 2 through 5. We do not really care for the ECG or blood oxygen center sensors. Um, so for us, it was a pretty easy decision. I actually have a question that maybe you can investigate. I know that the SE will not have the always on feature. I do, however, wonder if the watch is capable of this feature and if Apple will be able to enable it in a future software release to SE owners if enough people want it. Or is this a hardware dependent feature that will never be available, at least on this version of the SE watch? I, I'm glad you're reading this for two reasons. First of all, they said they agreed with me. I'm not really sure what they agreed with me on, but I'm just happy that people are agreeing with me out there. <laughs> Uh, but second of all, I actually meant to email this person back because it's a great question. Uh, and the answer, sadly, is that it's a hardware feature. So the reason why always on display was a difficult feature to add was because a display is really the primary thing that drains your battery. So if you have your display on all the time, the battery gets drained a lot. So the always on display is a special type of display that... Uh, is designed to be on, but it doesn't up. It doesn't refresh as rapidly as uh, when you're actually looking at your Apple Watch, and that's why actually, if you have an always on display, when you turn and you look at your Apple Watch, you'll notice that the screen will change because it's switching into like the normal mode as opposed to the always on mode. So it's a special type of display that's designed so that you can see it, you can see basic rudimentary information, but it doesn't drain your battery. But that unfortunately is a hardware solution as well as a software solution. So it's not something that will ever be added to the Apple Watch SE. And to be honest, that was, like I said in the original podcast, that was the main reason that I, my uh, wife wanted an Apple Watch and I opted for the SE, or for the Apple Watch 6. And somewhat it was just because if you're going to spend the money, it's nice to have those features, even though I don't think she's going to use the um, the blood oxygen or the EKG very often. It's just nice to have the nicest one. But also the always on was really the deal breaker for me. I think it's a really nice feature and I was going to feel bad if she didn't have it. <laughs> for those listening who don't know what the always on is, um, let, let's like back up and talk about that because I actually also have... Uh, an Apple Watch that's just at the cutoff. It's the Series 4, so it doesn't have the always-on either. Um, so what is the always-on, David? Yeah, so the always-on, I mean, it, it's a little bit implied in the name. It's basically how the Apple Watch used to work is when you were not using the Apple Watch, it was just a black screen. Uh, there was nothing on it. And then when you turned your wrist to look at your Apple Watch, 
you would it would light up and you could see the time and you could see all the data that was on your Apple Watch. And in general, it worked pretty well. But the problem with it was sometimes you turn your wrist and it wouldn't turn on. Or sometimes you just glance at your wrist out of the corner of your eye and you don't really turn it and it wouldn't know to show you the time. And so there's a lot of scenarios in which it was just a little bit buggy. Either you'd look at your wrist and it wouldn't light up or it would take a split second. So the always on display solves that by, as the name implies, it always has a display on. Um, it's not always the full display. So for example, if you have the cool Apple Watch face where the jellyfish are dancing around, the jellyfish won't be dancing around in the always on display, but you'll at least be able to see the time and you'll be able to see your complications. And so that I've found to be really nice because it's, there's a lot of scenarios in which I look at my Apple Watch, but it wasn't lighting up before I had the Apple Watch display. And first and foremost, it's a watch. <laughs> you want to be able to see the time when you want to be able to see the time. Um, so that's the basic idea. And like I said, it was a hard feature to implement because always on displays drain the battery. So they couldn't just have the display on all the time without having a hardware solution. Yeah, I agree. Like not having the always on display, um, to me, it makes the Apple Watch also feel just like less less like a real watch. The fact that at a lot of angles and times, you're just not seeing anything show up. Um, and it is annoying to have to like keep tapping it and flipping your wrist to try to get it to turn on. Like that happens quite a bit. So I yeah. agree with you. I agree yeah. with you that it's a big deal because I think a lot of people would be like, wait, who cares? If it's if it's sh lighting up whenever you look at it, who cares? But it's not really how it is. Yeah, I mean, and it's... It's a little bit both, in my opinion, because I think you will, if you buy the Apple Watch SE, which it sounds like these people did, they'll be perfectly happy. Like, it's still great. It's still very functional, but it definitely is a large upgrade to have always on display. The other thing, and I don't know, some people care about this, some people don't, but it's also what it means when the display isn't always on is that everyone else in the world just sees you wearing a black box on your wrist. <laughs> like, it doesn't look like a watch yeah. because it only looks like a watch when you're looking at it. Which is sort of, yeah, makes it look a little more nerdy too, which we'll get into in apps and gear. I have a gear recommendation that has really changed how my husband looks at his Apple Watch. Mm. It just, he, his whole issue has been that it doesn't look like a nice watch. It like looks like a geeky tech gadget. And yeah. he's with the always on display. And now with certain watch bands you can get, it's starting to look pretty nice, I think. Uh, so thanks, Mike and Bev, for writing in. We have another comment from a listener. First of all, I love iPhone Life, your podcast, your tips, and all the other wonderful material that you create. Thanks, yeah. Ray. It allows <laughs> me to continuously learn about my fantastic Apple products. Regarding iPad multitasking, I think you're both overly negative about how the many features work and how valuable they are to users. Unlike you, I think they're fantastic. And once I learned how to do all the different multitasking features, I think they're very easy and intuitive. Now, I can also see why they may not be useful for some. The first question for any potential multitasking user is, do you need to do any multitasking in the first place? I think the answer for most people is no. But if anyone is like me and their whole day res revolves around doing things on the iPad, these multitasking capabilities are fantastic. I'd suggest that you do a series of quick iPad multitasking tips for your users. Keep up the great work, Ray. So I think this is a really good uh, comment to sort of put us in check. <laughs> um, and I appreciate what Ray had to say here. And the context for this is in the in the um, in the podcast and just also in some of our courses, we have 
been a bit negative about iPad multitasking. And a lot of that is just because it's not always obvious how to use these features. Like you really do have to go out of your way to learn about them. Whereas um, you can sort of tap your way through the rest of the iPhone and somewhat figure it out without having any real instruction. I mean, to get the most out of your devices, that's not true, but usually there's some cue cue for you to do something. Whereas with iPad multitasking, you would just never know those features were there unless someone told you. Um, but I think that it is, and also there are a lot of them at this point, and so it takes some skill to do. But I do think that if you spend the time to learn how to do it, they can be very, very effective and powerful. And we're learning also through our courses, a lot of people were telling us in the iPad course all the ways they were using multitasking. And so we're learning that they are really useful for a lot of people. Um, I think that, David, I don't know, you said you've used your iPad mostly for checking email and watching videos and all that. So maybe maybe our use falls more into the category of not needing the multitasking as much too. I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, I half agree with Ray. I think that it's, um, I appreciate him emailing in. And in general, if you feel like we are not providing the full picture on something, please email in and we'll read it out. And I think we, we all get a richer perspective. I, and I, I agree with them that I'm probably overly critical of it because they are useful features and a lot of people really enjoy them. I think where I disagree with Ray is on a couple points. Number one, even if you do know how to use them, they're finicky and they're not easy to use. And even if you know, like when you try to bring up a second window, there's I have to do it like three or four times sometimes just to get it to work. Um, and so I do think that they Apple could have done a better job with them despite the fact that they are very useful. And my main complaint though is I don't do multitasking because it's a hassle. And therefore, if I ever have to do something that is multitasking, I go to my computer where it's really, really easy to do. And so it's really that Apple was trying, and they're sort of actually in Apple's defense moving away from this marketing strategy, but for a long time they were trying to market the iPad as a computer replacement. And that's what I took issue with. It was that multitasking is something that is essential to me in my life, in my work, and they were trying to tell me that I could just use an iPad and not use a computer to do it, whereas multitasking is really easy to do on a computer and it's really tricky to do on an iPad. It's possible and you can do it and a lot of people have gotten good at it, but it's not as easy. And I think that's where my complaint is. But I do, despite the fact that I then defaulted into my negative stance on it, I do agree that I'm probably overly negative and it's worth people defending it because it's useful and people enjoy it and Apple has worked hard to make it better and better over the years. All right, cool. Thanks for writing in. <laughs> Keep writing in. It's podcast.iphonelife.com. Um, next, we want to talk about the news, which is basically we're still in this rumor mill of when the iPhone 12 event is going to happen and what we're going to get. So we just wanted to um, share the latest. Um, so the rumors that I've been reading say that Apple's announcement for, for the iPhone 12 will likely be on October 13th or 14th. And that's based off of um, some different leaks, and also the fact that Apple usually holds its events on a Tuesday or Wednesday. So the 13th and 14th, 14th or Tuesday and Wednesday. If this is true, that means our next podcast episode will be right after the release of the news devices, and we'll be telling you everything, you know, giving you our analysis of that. So um, 
I don't know, David. What, what is that the same that you've been hearing? Yeah, I think it's pretty reliable at this point. I will be shocked if we don't have an announcement on those days. I will be shocked if we don't get a new Apple or new iPhone announced at that time. So I think we're pretty set on those things. I mean, you know, anything can change. And I think sometimes Apple changes. Like sometimes they think they'll be ready and then they're not and they move it. So, you know, you never know. But I, I the, there's been enough consistency of leaks where I think it's happening. Yeah, it's true that like, you know, the event has been delayed in the first place because of issues with with production related to the coronavirus pandemic and all of that. So it it could be delayed further until we get like a real invitation sent out from Apple. We won't really know. Um, but that's what we're hearing. And l- let's recap what devices we're expecting to get. Um, you know, David and Nicholas did an episode recently where they went over all the different four iPhones that Apple's expected to release this time. So maybe we can just revisit that for those who have not been tuning in. So, David, what have you, what is the lineup? Yeah, well, I don't, just a quick caveat, I don't have my notes in front of me because I had them all ready for the last time. Um, but I'll give you a quick recap. It seems like we're going to have an iPhone 12 we'll have the pro we'll have the non-pro and they're going to introduce a new smaller device um and it seems like all of the iphones will have an oled display this year which will be a big improvement for what right now the um iphone 11 as opposed to iphone 11 pro does not have an oled display and we love the oled display so that should be coming across the board um that's a pretty exciting that's i think quite significant too yeah it is significant and it's it's one of the main things that convinces me to upgrade every year to the pro line so i think that's interesting the other thing that's really interesting is just the smaller phone which i think apple must have seen enough success with the se um that they're going to have that and for people who don't care about display size they want portability or they just want you know budget friendly options i think it'll also be a nice option um and for the Pro, the idea, I, my understanding is Apple will still save their best camera for the Pro, unfortunately, because that's the other thing that I always get that always makes me want to upgrade is the the better camera, because I think that we people underestimate how nice it is to have a nice camera. Um, it's also rumored to have a LiDAR feature, which is a radar detection or like a, a 3D mapping tool um, that is often used for augmented reality. I am... I'm hoping that that's not going to be a core sales feature for Apple just because it's, in my opinion, AR just isn't there yet. And I don't know a lot of people who are using it regularly in their day-to-day life. Um, But that will be rumored to be there as well. In terms of the form factor, it's rumored to be a design similar to the iPhone 4, which is, if you remember, is sort of the square edges as opposed to the the kind of tapered edges. and so I think all the little, all the mock-ups I've seen make it look really nice. I think it'll be a beautiful phone. Um, and am I missing anything, Donna? Um, well, I just was, in terms of the naming of it, not that this is like the most important thing, but the latest, what I've been reading is that there'll be like the iPhone 12 mini, and that's the one you're talking about that would okay, have the yeah. square edges. Um, then we've got the iPhone 12 base model, iPhone 12 Pro, and then the Pro Max. And the Pro Max is supposed to be enormous. Yeah, it's supposed to be six point seven inches, which is 
Uh, well, right now the iPhone 11 Pro Max is 6.5 inches, so it's not that much bigger. I think I'm just making that comment because in general, the max size iPhones are bigger than I would want. Uh, I tend to like the portability and being able to like put my phone in my pocket and things like that. Um, but there is something it's in terms of watching, um, videos on your phone, having that larger display is pretty cool. And having a 6.7 inch display that's OLED is going to be really nice. I have to say, I'm, I've been a little bit tempted by the max this year. Um, really? I yeah. I don't know. The main thing is the portability and will it fit in my pocket? comfortably <laughs> um, because I do just throw my phone in my pocket and I want it to be comfortable. Um, but I find that lately I've been a little bit lazy about going up and getting my iPad when I want to browse the web or just do stuff. And so having a bigger screen on my iPhone may actually end up being very functional for me um, when I don't have my iPad or I just am trying to do some quick work from an iPhone. Uh, but it's a big screen. It'll be interesting. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the other things you covered mostly just that the the higher end iPhones would have an improved camera. I just wanted to talk a little bit about that. It's supposed to have a 3D mapping. Uh, it's supposed to improve augmented reality, basically, the improved camera. And so for me, I just think that's a good distinction to talk about because I don't know that for some people they'll really care about that that much. I think... I, yeah, I, I think I mean I'm on I'm on record saying that I don't th I think the vast majority of people don't care about augmented reality yet. I think that someday we might, but I do think I have read rumors that it also may improve portrait mode, which I personally do care a lot about. I love portrait mode. I use it a so lot. Do I. I think it makes for really beautiful photos, and it it is finicky. Like it's always like take three steps forward, then one step back. Okay, you got it. You know what I mean? It's like That's hard to true. get it lined up. So yeah. if they can improve that and make it so it's quick and easy to do, um, that would be really great, in my opinion. Yeah, it's true. And it's like, that makes so much sense because it's supposed to be, the lens is depth sensing. Yeah. Uh, this like 3D depth sensing lens that they're adding. So of course, like that's, that really would help portrait mode. I do think a workaround for portrait mode right now that I like to use that I think a lot of people don't know about is that you can, after the fact, adjust uh, the extent of the portrait mode that you're using which is really nice. So if it's like, for instance, blurring out some of the hair, you can you can change that later. Yeah. But not nice having to do that would be great. And like you, I agree. I feel like pretty much any time I use portrait mode, my camera is telling me that I'm either too close or too far away, which is so annoying. And do you, I can't remember what the wording of it is, but there's one wording where it just is unclear whether I'm too close or too far. It's and so in the air, it's like it's like no portrait mode not working, and I'm not sure if I'm supposed to get closer or farther away, and so I'm just walking back and forth, hoping for the best. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't remember the wording either, but that happens to me a lot. Um, and just the other feature I wanted to talk about is 5G. Oh yeah, uh, we've we've talked about this a good amount um, in previous podcasts, but I think it falls a little bit into the category of augmented reality too, where it's a feature I'm really glad that Apple is focusing on for the future, but it might not make that much of a difference to people buying their iPhones this year. If you live in a uh, huge city, it might be better. It might, like a lot of um, infrastructure is being placed now for 5G, but if you're in a smaller, more rural area like we are, we're not gonna be seeing the benefits of 5G for a while. So even if our iPhone can support 5G, it's not really going to do much for us. So for me, that's not a huge purchase decision 
factor I think right it now. really is a function of where you live, though. Because I think yeah. if you live in a big city, you almost have to buy it. Because I think it'll dramatically improve your life to have 5G. I, I think you'll have really fast internet in a way that's going to... Like, I remember... When Could be very game changing. I remember when we switched from 3G to LTE and how much of a difference that made and what I was willing to do on the go on my phone. And I think it'll be like that. It'll be an ex it'll be like an exponential increase in what you're willing to do from your phone. Um and so I think if you're in a big city, it might be the main reason you upgrade. And if you're in a rural area like Donna and I, you won't care at all. So it's a weird divide. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And um, basically, like the you need you need a phone uh, hardware features in your phone to support five G, and then you also need to live in an area where the network is built out. And if it is, then you, uh, you'll just basically be able to do everything a lot faster on your iPhone. Is the idea? Um, there's a lot of like we have a whole episode where we talk about some of the futuristic things that the five G network will allow. But I think just in terms of you listening, wondering how it's going to improve your life. It's just like mainly at this point, speed. Um, and in the future, could be a lot more. Uh, and we'll link to the 5G episode so you can learn more about that in a our couple, show notes. Sorry. A couple other things that are rumored that might be announced, these are less certain, uh, would be number one, these air tags we keep hearing about, which are basically like a tile replica. And I, I have a feeling they'll be announced because Apple is... Really? Well, they changed the Find My iPhone app to Find My. They built it out so that you could include third-party devices. It's like they put all the pieces in place for this. It, I don't even think it's a particularly complicated device to build. Like, Tile's been doing it for years. So I think it's likely we'll see that. I've also heard rumors that um, the AirTags are in the source code of iOS 14, so they're already kind of baked into the operating system. Um, the other thing is a new HomePod. And that one, I think, is more of a long shot. I would be surprised if we saw one, although I personally am really rooting for one. Um, I would love a sort of the equivalent of an Echo Dot, like a very small HomePod that wasn't necessarily designed for audio quality, but that was affordable and I could put a few around my house to use to control my smart home. Um, Which, we'll is, I mean, rumors support that, uh, that there'd be, it would be cheaper, but I don't know if it's not like Echo Dot cheap, probably. No, yeah, Apple does not do cheap necessarily. Yeah. <laughs> and we've been hearing about both these products for, I think, over a year now. So I think it's anybody's guess whether they get announced. Yeah. Yeah, so keep an eye out for October 13th and 14th to see uh, what Apple has in store for us. And just if you follow along at iPhoneLife.com, we'll keep you updated and we'll have articles out as soon as we do hear anything from Apple um, and, and we'll include in that how to watch the announcement, how to follow our live coverage, and all of that. Um, so next up in the episode, we wanted to just like, give you some of our take on iOS 14. I already in the tip section of this podcast, we talked about widgets, but um, there's more in there, and I just wanted to take a little bit of time to talk about that. Um, David, do you want to start off by sharing some of your favorite iOS 14 features and why? Sure. I think that in general with iOS 14, really there's a couple features that are just the main home run features. And one of them we talked a lot about widgets and Donna, I think you're going to talk about that too. Uh, the other one is the app library, which I'm really enjoying because in the class we were talking about, there's sort of two types of people <laughs> in this world. Those who take the time to really perfectly sort through 
their uh, phone and have everything in the right folder and know exactly where it is. And those who don't, and I was one of those people who didn't do that. I have over 300 apps on my phone. I test them regularly. So I just end up downloading a bunch and they were total chaos. I never sorted them. They really functionally, those extra screens on my phone provided no value to me because I either, the only way I would access apps would be to search for them. So having the app library, instead of having just a random tiling of apps that I downloaded in chronological order of when I downloaded them is really nice. And I'm really enjoying that. Um, a couple other things I'm really liking. Uh, this isn't really a feature that is uh, you can turn on or off necessarily, but I really like the compact design. I like that when a phone call comes in, it doesn't take over your entire screen, especially these days. I get a lot of political calls. I get a lot of spam calls and I'm in the middle of doing something and suddenly it takes over my whole screen. Also, I like the feature because... Uh, sometimes somebody calls and I'm not really wanting to answer it. <laughs> like, even if it's a friend of mine, I'll want to talk to them later. And I don't like that it disrupts me so much in what I'm doing. Um, and same thing goes for Siri. I like that you can have a screen up and talk to Siri at the same time. Um, and then I think the final one that I'm enjoying is the pinned messages. I really like that in the messages app, um, which basically how it works is you can go through and you can pin contacts and as your favorites and it puts them on top of your messages app. Cause I find that a like 90% of the people I text are like the same people every day. So just having a few of my favorites easily available is great. Uh, and B I have a few group threads that I text regularly. And in the past I found it really hard to find group threads in the messages. Um, and so though that feature I've really enjoyed as well. How about you, Donna? Uh, I agree with you about pinning messages. That's one of my favorites. Uh, emoji search is another one. And that's yeah. when you're, yeah, when you're typing, there is now, and you tap the emoji icon, um, you now have a little search bar at the top that you can type in the, either like the emotion or if you know the name of the emoji and it'll pop up there like in a little bar above your keyboard. And it's really nice too, because it also is predictive. So if you start, you don't have to type in like heart all the way, like you'll type in like H-E-A and suddenly all the hearts will pop up. Um, so it's it's fast and easy and makes it easier to find what you're looking for. I like that because Apple hasn't organized their emojis in a way that I find that intuitive. So a lot of times you're scrolling through like nine pages of emojis, to look for what you want, and now you don't have to do that. Um, other features I enjoy, picture in picture mode on the iPhone. This has been on the iPad for a while, um, but now a good amount of video apps support it. So it's not just Apple apps. It's really nice for FaceTime too. And this feature lets you swipe up from the bottom of your display or you'll, there'll be a little picture in picture icon and it will just minimize the video window um, to, to only take up a little portion of your screen so you can do other things either while you're on a FaceTime call or while you're watching a video. And that's really nice for multitasking. It also has this little nifty feature where you can swipe it to the corner of a screen and just a little tag will appear and the audio will keep playing so that you have the entire use of your screen while you're watching a video. So I recommend giving that a whirl. App Clips, I think, has a lot of promise. Um, App Clips is a feature, too, that lets you take advantage of certain functions of an app without committing to download it. Uh, so an example of that is if you're looking up how to get to Panera and in the Apple Maps app, 
you can order from Panera as well as get directions there without downloading the Panera app. And I just think that in general for discovering new apps, this is gonna be a really good feature. So that's great for app developers getting their product out there and also for us um, because it'll also be very contextual and location um, triggered as well. So you'll see like suggestions of app services to use as you're walking around certain places or as you're doing things on your phone. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, I'm I'm excited about the future of app clips. I think they'll be really useful for sure. Yeah. It's a little bit similar with third-party widgets where it's going to probably be like a slow build and it'll get to a point at some point where there's lots of cool options. Right now it's pretty limited. I also but do have a lot of promise. Yeah, I agree. I also do want to mention we discovered a really cool use case for the picture in picture, which is if you're an insider, it's perfect for the guides and the daily tip videos because you can have a small version of the video and we're supporting picture in picture by the way so you can have a small version of that video playing while you're doing the tip on your phone so that you can if you open up uh the email you get the video you can watch the video and follow along at the same time which before was not possible you had to have two devices to do this so i just want to a if you are not an insider it's a great excuse to subscribe uh, iphonelife.com slash podcast discount. But B, I know a lot of you are already insiders and I would encourage you to check this out because I think it's a really nice function. Definitely. All right, those are my main ones. I won't rattle on longer about iOS 14, <laughs> uh, but I am really enjoying the update. Uh, we wanted to, we have some apps and gear we wanted to share. I had mentioned earlier that the Apple Watch doesn't always look like a watch. And here's an accessory that can help in that area. It's the Nomad Rugged Strap. We, in general, are pretty big fans of Nomad at iPhone Life. They have a lot of like genuine leather, nice products and watch bands. This one's actually not leather and it's awesome. It's uh, $50. It is a rubber strap. But it's really, it's more of a masculine look. And that's why my husband's been trying it out instead of me. Um, mm -hmm. But like it has, it still has the the metal up at the top where it connects to your Apple Watch. And it um, has like a texture on it. It's, it's a black watch strap. And um, even though it's rubber, it's still, it looks like a nice high quality watch band. It's great to work out in. So it's a good replacement for the one that Apple comes, the cheapest one that Apple offers with its sports band. Um, and it, I don't know, it offsets the actual Apple Watch display nicely in a way that somehow makes it look more like a nice man's watch. I don't really know how to describe it except for to say that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, those are sort of my favorite watch bands, the ones that look nice and they look a little bit more like traditional watch band, but also aren't materials that you can't get wet, wet or sweaty because like apple watches are designed to work out with and like i for a long time had a leather apple watch band and it just didn't work and even though you can't swap bands who wants just, to do that yeah, yeah it's not that hard but it's just annoying so yeah i i tend to default towards the ones that are sort of that middle ground of looking nice ish but still being like sporty <laughs> yeah um, what about you? I, well, I covered Nomad last week, actually. I really like their dock. Um, and I'm going to tell you guys about a second dock this week that I'm enjoying testing, give you a few options. Um, and that's Belkin's dock. Uh, and I'm sorry, I don't have the name off the top of my head, but it's basically 
Belkin is a company that's been in the iPhone charging space for a very long time. And the dock that I'm enjoying of theirs has basically three separate wireless charging sections. It has the Apple Watch, has a puck built in, which I love. It has a puck built in for the Apple Watch, has a space for the AirPods, and then a space for the iPhone. Uh, and what, one of the nice features it has is the iPhone is vertical as opposed to face down. And so you can be wirelessly charging your iPhone, but it's still at an angle where if you're across the room, you can see if you get a notification, if you have good eyesight, you can actually read it. Um, in, in terms of style, I kind of liked Nomad's style better. Nomad has a leather pad, but Nomad is just one pad that you're kind of trying to fit things onto, and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But what's nice about this, it's the style is sort of a more traditional tech style. It's sort of that just black matte finish. Um, but it's nice, the vertical angle's great, and having to sort of separate section for each of the devices, I'm also really enjoying. Uh, and they're comparably priced. I think it's around $140. We'll link to in the show notes. I apologize for not having the name, uh, but it's Belkin, B-E-L-K-I-N, if you go look them up. Awesome. Yeah, so I can, yeah, I'll link to that in the show notes as well. But um, we have a second question of the week, and I realize we probably should have put this after our, our news section where we talked about the iPhone 12. But I would just love to know for those listening, who's planning on upgrading this season? And if so, which of the four iPhones? Again, we don't know the names yet, but you, it helps to have uh, <laughs> suspected names. So you can let us know which sounds the most interesting to you. The iPhone 12 mini, 12 pro or pro max so email us at podcast at iphonelife.com let us know if you're planning to upgrade to one of these and why and we always love to hear from you and we'll uh read out some answers in our next episode it might be the episode where we've actually have the new iphone so that'll yeah, be a lot of fun crossed. and we'll give some advice once we know what apple's coming out with we'll talk about the pros and cons of the different devices and which we would recommend buying depending on your situation uh, so stay tuned for that. And I think that wraps up this episode of the iPhone Life podcast. Thank yeah, you so unless, much for tuning in. Unless you're an insider, in which case stick around. We have some bonus content for you. I haven't asked people recently, so I will go ahead and ask if you're enjoying this podcast, if you all could do us a favor and just take a quick minute to rate the podcast. It really yes. helps new users find this content course we're providing these podcasts for free so it does it helps us a lot especially if you rate it well <laughs> yeah thanks so much everyone thanks everyone thanks everyone